I don't know how to tell you how privileged we are this morning and how honored I am to have John and Joanne Stumbo here with us. John and I have been friends and Joanna for a long time. Uh, pastor in the Salem, Oregon Alliance Church for a long period of time. Uh, Vice President of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Just a broad spectrum of ministries and opportunities that God has done in his life and has given him in the past. And we've been able to be friends for a long time. But this journey that he has been on is one that we have said to you he wants to share this morning. And we were just so thrilled to be able to have this particular date in our series in First Peter as he talks about the issue of suffering. His book is in the back, and he'll talk a little bit about that, but it's just simply donation basis. They won't be in the back at the end. But just let me read you what Ravi Zacharias says about this particular book, An Honest Look at a Mysterious Journey. This is one of the most powerful stories I've ever heard. It will change the way you face life's twists and life's turns. And this story will, and definitely uh, give you the opportunity to find out what God wants to teach you in that journey. So we are privileged. I am thrilled, honored to have a friend here with us this morning. Leaves this afternoon to head to Nyack, New York, to speak at their conference this week on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at their campus for Spiritual Emphasis Week. So I know you'll enjoy that, but I know you'll also be praying for them after you hear them this morning in that journey together. John, we're honored to have you at Community Alliance Church. Welcome. Good morning, church. Good to see you today. Denny's invited me to share my story with you, but you know, when the day's done, I'm really not concerned whether you remember my story or not. My greater concern is that you're able to see how God is writing a good story in your life. I've been fascinated to see the way that as I tell my story, people are instantly able to start making connections, and I pray that that will happen in this place again today, so... So I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, I'd love it if we could anchor this moment in Psalm 74. If you have a Bible with you, I'm going to take us to Psalm 74 for just a few minutes as our anchoring thought. It's an honor to be Denny's friend and uh, Connie and now to see this place that uh, they have served for so long. I mean... Any group of people that puts up with Krychek for like 20 years has to be a pretty decent group of people. So I, I th- we're, we're friends already if you like this guy. So. <laughs> Psalm 74. Why have you rejected us forever, O God? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Have you ever asked those why kind of questions? <laughs> The the setting here, what's happening here is that something sacred is under attack. The reason that this song was written was because something sacred was under attack. Now, in this particular setting, that thing was called the temple, this holy place. uh, uh, An army had come in with torches and and spears and clubs and, and hammers and just decimated the place, totally destroyed it, and... but. Something sacred's under attack today, probably in many of our lives. Your marriage, your physical body, the health of your home, a relationship that means so much to you, your your emotional well-being. There's 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 attack still today, and so this psalm was written for people who knows know what it's like to have something sacred under attack. Drop down to verse nine. Verse nine. <laughs> We are given no miraculous signs, no prophets are left, and none of us knows how long this will be. 
And God, why, why aren't you doing the God stuff? Verse 10, how long will the enemy mock you, O God? Will the foe revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it out from the folds of your garment. God, would you get your hands out of your pockets, please, and do something? Verse 12, but you, huge transition here. He's reminding himself, but you, O God, are my king from of old. Okay, you, you are my king. I'm, I'm not doing this alone. I'm not on my own. I, I, yes, I have a story, but it's not just me and my little story. Are you aware that just about every high school and college graduation speech in the last 20 years in America has been basically the same speech? Have you, have you been paying attention? Here, here's the speech. I can give it to you in like 40 seconds or less. Students, you have an unlimited reservoir of human potential within you. All you need to do is dig down deep within you and you can accomplish anything in this world. Go, students, right? <laughs> now, how's that working for you, America? <laughs> Maybe at 18 and 22, you think you've got an unlimited reservoir of human potential within you, but by the time you're about 35, you wake up tired, right? <laughs> it's like this, oh, man. If, if, if all that I have is what I find in here, Eventually, you're going to realize you're in trouble. If, if the only resource I have is what I can find, what I can gather together myself, uh, and you're on your deathbed, or your marriage is crumbling, mm, I am so happy to announce that as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have a king. I didn't just come to him to forgive my sin. As significant as that is, as huge as that is, I hope that you have come to him to be the forgiver of your sin, to be the one who cleanses, renews, restores you from the inside out. I hope you have done that. But there is more and more, my friend. It is coming to him to be the leader, the Lord, the guide, the captain, the champion of our lives, to, to surrender to him, to submit to him, to be our king, that this is such a beautiful message. I am so happy. I'm so happy I don't have to do life on my own. <laughs> Let me finish here, then I'll tell you my story. <laughs> so he starts to celebrate what God's done, and I want to take you quickly to verse 15. Speaking of who God is, verse 15, it was you who opened up springs and streams and dried up the ever-flowing rivers. Interesting. He's a God of abundance, you know, like well-watered areas and drought. The day is yours. And yours also, huh, the night. You established the sun and the moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both, really, both summer and winter. Did you hear it? He's the God of the abundance and the drought, the day and the night, the sun and the moon, the winter and the summer. You listen to some forms of American Christianity today, you only hear half of that, right? He's the God of the good times. He's the God of the happy days. He's the God of success. He's the God of wealth. He's the God of all that. And I'm not denying that. He is the God of good days. He is the God of, you know, abundance and, and summer and sun. Yay! But the message of the gospel is so much bigger than that, church. The message of the gospel, Old and New Testament, is that our God is big enough to be the God of the night as well. Let's talk about that. So, I want to begin my story in 2008. As you'll see on a few photos, um, I, I was enjoying life in, in Salem, Oregon with my wife, Joanna, 
we were meeting in church there, similar to a sister church to Butler here, and, and just uh, enjoying life with our three children, uh, Anna, Josiah, and Andrew. Just love being dad and mom and raising three kids. Um, I, I was leading a fairly active lifestyle, one of my great loves. I was running. Now, I, I had never run, like in my 20s and 30s. If there was no ball involved, why would you bother running? I just didn't understand. <laughs> but my daughter got me, my daughter got me hooked, and, and uh, so I began to run these things called ultra marathons. Those are runs for guys too stupid to stop at 26 miles, and so we just keep on running. Uh, mountain climbing was another great pleasure. <clears throat> You know, the goal of mountain climbing is not to get to the top of the mountain. The ultimate goal of mountain climbing is to get the bottom of the mountain safely at the end of the day. And on this day, we just about didn't do either on Mount Hood. Fishing has always been one of my great loves. I, I prefer the lakes of uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota, but this particular day on uh, the Columbia River uh, was, a, was a rather effective day. So those are, those are the vacuums uh, sucking up salmon carcasses on the bottom of the rivers, these sturgeons. So. I show you those stories, those pictures, not to have a Facebook page, but, but, to, but, but simply to say I was living an active, healthy lifestyle, healthy habits, especially if you include ice cream as one of the basic food groups, right? <laughs> and healthy genes. My mother's 93 and still living on her own and, and, and had never spent a day in the hospital in my life, had no reason to be concerned about anything. And so <clears throat> October 18th, 2008, I noticed I had a little rash on my body. Uh, blame my wife, figured she must have changed the laundry detergent. Next day, uh, I felt like I might be getting the flu. Day three, my arms swelled up. I looked like Popeye, but, but they were worthless. I could hardly do anything with them. And then it went down into my legs. And where I could run 10, 20 miles for a, for a good workout, and now I, I couldn't hardly walk up the stairs. And by the end of the week, I was completely unable to drive. I, I was... <laughs> When you have to do this from the steering wheel to grab your leg, to get it to lift up, to get over from the gas to the brake, that's not a good maneuver. <laughs> and so um, I, I could no longer drive. And so whatever was hitting me was hitting me fast. And, and so I had the elders of the church pray for me and had uh, the doctors start to run tests on me. And it was, it was uh, un, uh, they, they couldn't figure it out. One of my last conscious thoughts I was with a doctor standing next to me with my blood chart in his hand saying, I've never seen somebody with blood levels so messed up and still be alive. And I'm thinking, see, I'm a healthy guy. I'm, <laughs> I would spend the next five days unconscious. Uh, I would be um, hooked up to all manner of machines to sustain me. Uh, a prayer meeting formed at our church. A thousand people gathered because John was dying. Uh, family flew in from all over the nation numerous times. I, I wasn't responding. And I um, uh, went into the hospital 190 pounds, ballooned to 260 in the photo that you see because my systems were shutting down. I couldn't process any nutrients. And uh, so uh, my organs were failing and teetering. And so I was, I was a dying man. And you didn't come to see those kind of pictures today. So you can, um, let's, let's hold there for a moment. If you can go to the... So I went into the hospital at 190, I ballooned to 260, and, and um, <clears throat> uh, five days of unconsciousness, uh, and then became aware of, of my situation, became aware that I was a dying man, 
And I had days to just lay there and think. Whatever attacked me, it attacked my muscles uh, in such a way that, that I, I asked Joanna, why'd they tie me down? And uh, she said, what do you mean? They haven't tied you down. But I didn't realize that I was so weak and uh, that I literally could not do this maneuver right here. I, 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 I could not do that. Uh, and, and so... Um, and days to think, and, and I kept playing through these scenarios in my head. If this will happen and that happens, that happens, I'll die. And if, if I die, I'll be with Jesus. Oh, okay. And if this happens and that happens, that happens, I'll die. And if I die, I'll be with Jesus. No matter what bad scenario I could work out in my head, I always ended up with Jesus. Now, how good is that? <laughs> I, I want to say this. It is a sweet thing as a follower of Christ to be on your deathbed and for death to be the least of your worries. This thing called faith of believing that we really do have one who can forgive and make us not only different people now, but prepare us for all eternity to be with God. That is, <laughs> uh, well, don't underestimate it. Then came the days of hallucinations. <laughs> five of them. That was a trip. Not, not five hallucinations. There were a bunch of them, but five days of hallucinations. And those tap dancers on the wall, they were pretty cool. You would like those guys. But, but the fish swimming in the curtains were kind of concerning. <laughs> Black fish about this big in those privacy curtains they give you. Yes. So anyway, there's fish swimming in there. And if one of them bit you, it was no big deal. But if two of them bit you at the same time, you died. And I didn't mind dying, but I didn't want to die by fish bite. But... But their great weakness was that if you squeezed them, they would pop. And, and I wanted my son, Drew, who was like 6'1", 200 pounds, I wanted him to come because I knew he'd be a good fish popper. So I wanted Drew to come visit me. <laughs> you know the difference between a bad dream and a, and a hallucination? You wake, from, you wake up from a bad dream, it's like, whew, glad that's over. You wake up from a hallucination and you say, honey, we got to do something about this. You know who those nurses are? They've been imported to the United States of America from an Eastern European nation, probably where Krychek came from, and, 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 and they got human upper bodies and styrofoam lower bodies, which I was really jealous of because the long-distance runner, those styrofoam lower bodies wouldn't need any nourishment, and they'd be really great invention, but, but they were taken over the United States of America by way of these nurses. We've got to watch out for them. Do you know? Five days of that, and then, and then just the long... Days of just feeling horrible. <laughs> Every cell in my body angry. <laughs> um, I, I did joke with our church back in Salem when I got out of the hospital. I, I had my hand on heaven's doorknob, but I had too many of you people praying for me. You <laughs> kept me here. <laughs> um, after 77 days in the hospital, I was released without a diagnosis. Uh, they ran over 100 tests in my body, tried to figure out what I had from every way, shape, or form, top research hospital in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, they said, well, well, we'll just have to call it the Stumbo Syndrome, my last name. You've stumped us all. That drives some people crazy, but let me say very quickly that we expect too much out of, out of our medical community. <laughs> and if all you have, if you don't have what we've been talking about, a king, faith, and a living Christ, if all you have is like, your resources and whatever somebody else can offer, then yeah, you better get out of them whatever they can give you. But if you also have not only human help and your own personal responsibility, but you have God, then you can let these guys off the hook just a little bit because they they're not your ultimate final source. You have an ultimate final source, God himself, that 
He knows what I have, so if they can't figure it out, I'm, st- I'm not in trouble. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I was released, uh, went in 190, blown to 260, came out of the hospital at 140. Whatever had attacked me had eaten my muscular system, and uh, I was released in the wheelchair. Um, back to the wheelchair photo, please. Um, released in a wheelchair uh, with the world's greatest caregiver. <laughs> My wife never planned on being a nurse, had no interest in being a nurse. We had been married 27 years at the time, and she took her vows seriously. Blessed are the caregivers. Blessed are those of you who have cared for people who cannot care for themselves. You've given hours, days, years of your life so that somebody can have a better quality of life. Blessed are you, for in you we have seen the Christ. Thank you. Thank you. An under-acknowledged segment of this population. And I respect you. I was released uh, in a wheelchair and started back into physical therapy, as you see in that photo, with a one-pound dumbbell. (laughs) It looked like a dog biscuit. It's like, oh, brother. But it was a workout. Believe me, I used to bench 225 with my son. Now I got a dog biscuit in my hand. That's all I can handle. Because it attacked my muscular system. And, and so you're going to hear in this story that there were some things that the medical community could do. There are some things I had to do by way of physical therapy, rehab, working hard. And there's some things that only God could do. But rehab was part of my responsibility. But I never imagined that they would release me from the hospital without the ability to eat. Uh, whatever attacked my muscles had attacked also the swallow function. Do you realize that your swallow is made up of dozens of nerves and muscles and even a hyoid bone that have to work together in perfect synchronization for you to get that saliva out of your mouth that you are now awkwardly aware of? (laughs) That saliva out of your mouth and get it down into your throat. And uh, it is a fascinating combination. If we can go back to that picture for a moment, please. You'll see that next to me, is that I have an insertion of a feeding tube that has a syringe that they give to you, and I've got a can in my hand, two words that should never be put together, medical food, <laughs> and seven, seven cans of that a day. Next to me, I have paper towel and napkin spit rags because when I say I couldn't swallow, not only was I not eating or drinking, I could not swallow my own saliva. Nothing went down my esophagus, so I had to live spitting day and night. I hated it. Absolutely hated it. Fifteen, my wife would rip off 15 paper towels every night, put them next to my pillow because you continue to generate saliva day and night and I would have to wake up to spit. How how did your pastor die? Oh, he drowned in his own saliva. That's real happy. So so you live spitting. That was um, the entire year of 2009. 2009, I didn't eat a single bite of food, drink a single drop of water, lived with spit rags, spit towels, spit cups. You wanted to be careful when you rode with us in the car. Joanna's Diet Pepsi in one holder, my spit cup in the other holder. You really didn't want to get those mixed up. 2009 was a very difficult year. Four times they ran tests to verify what I already knew to be true, my swallow was completely non-functioning. It, 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 it looked like your belly button. Well, I've never seen your belly button, Denny, but it looked like, it looked like my belly button. 
that um, just completely closed tight. Uh, twice they gave me a guided tour, but they have this thing called a, uh, well, I won't give you the technical name, but, but it's a camera on the end of a flexible scope, and they give you a guided tour of places you'd ever want to see, and they, they bring it back down up your nose. I, I, I flinched when the, when the ENT doctor was about ready to do it, and he said, oh, I do this to five-year-olds. You'll be fine, which is doctor speak for man up, buddy. <laughs> so he comes, he comes up, you know, in the nose. and now, Oh, your soft palate doesn't close all the way. That's why your voice sounds like red-green. And then you come back down and, and uh, get down to the throat. And, and he says, um, oh, you don't have cancer and you don't have any injury. Actually, that's bad news. I could fix those things. What you have is inoperable in both senses of the word. It's completely non-functioning, and there's no operation we can do to take care of it. Five speech swallow therapists passed me off. Behind my back, my medical community had had a conversation saying it's unlikely that John will ever swallow again because it's been so long, and he's in such a weakened condition. 2009. I tried to open the Scripture every day. I'd, I'd been taught as a child and had followed through my adult life to almost every day to open up this Word and uh, to try to spend time with the Lord and listen to what He might have to say to me. And I will tell you that in 2009, this felt like sandpaper to my soul. It was abrasive, irritating. All those miracles, all those promises. I wasn't experiencing any of it. I couldn't find God in there. I was accustomed to finding God in certain ways, and now I, now I wasn't finding him, or, or so I thought. Another difficulty of 2009 was, and some of you will relate very well to me at this point, what do you want to do when you're in crisis, when you're just all torn up on the inside, when life isn't working like it used to? What do you, what's your tendency to do? Well, our tendency was to isolate, to pull away, Going to church was the hardest thing we did in 2009. Not only physically for Joanna to get a wheelchair into the van and get me into the van and then get to the church and then get the wheelchair out and get me into the wheelchair and then get us into the wheelchair section of the church. We had a wheelchair section in the back. Besides, those people were way too happy back there. <laughs> you're in a wheelchair and you're singing praise to Jesus. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> Oh, I struggled, I struggled. I, I used to be the pastor, and now I don't even want to go, you know. It's, oh, I just wanted to isolate, pull away friends. When you need people the most, you're inclined to want to be with them the least, and don't give in to that temptation. Do not isolate. And when you're hurting, keep going to that small group. Keep coming to church. Keep answering the phone. Keep leaning into that friendship. I know everything within you just wants to say no, but don't do that. 2009, long year. Sequestered, had to give up my responsibilities. The church was completely unable to function. Um, my wife being my tender caregiver, uh, I'm happy to announce that God uses some fascinating ways to rebuild a marriage. We didn't have that great a marriage our first 27 years. It was fine, but I took her for granted. I had the attitude of, she's tough, she can handle it. And I was right, she's tough, she can handle it. But that's not an honoring attitude for a husband to have toward his wife. God was, God was doing, you, you know what we want to do when we're in crisis? 
Here, here's America in like five words. Get out fast. <laughs> okay, that was three words. <laughs> we we want to get out of our, our, our crisis fast. We, we, if we're in pain, we just want to move on quickly. And God, so, Psalm 23 verse 5 says, I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't want you to prepare a table before me while my enemies are looking on. I want the drive through section. I want them to go. I don't want, I don't want to sit down. And, but God is doing a fascinating work in the human heart in the most unlikely and unpredictable places. Read the saints of the Bible, Joseph, David, on the list goes. 2009. 2010 came along, and praise God, uh, I, was, I was now strong enough to uh, I move from the wheelchair to a walker to a cane, and I moved as significantly from the passenger seat to the driver's seat. A whole year. Can I get any sympathy here, men? A whole year in the passenger seat. That was, it wasn't just hard on me. It was hard on my wife as well. I'm not just a backseat driver. I'm an every-seat driver. So, you know, this is, but I, I was, so, you know, I'm in the passenger seat one day, big red pickup, huge tires, you know, sitting at a stoplight next to us. We're down here in our green Dodge Caravan. He's up here in his big truck. Come on, boom, 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 boom. He looks down at me in the passenger seat and says, Dude, what's wrong with you, man? Get over there where you belong. He's like, Oh, you redneck. Give me a break. You're killing me, dude. You're killing me. But 2010 came along. I got to move from the passenger seat to the driver's seat. One person in the church, one little girl, 10 year old girl, said, Is it okay for him to drive if he can't swallow? Good question, good question. Well, <laughs> spit cup, spit cup. So, so anyway, <clears throat> we decided to go on a road trip. We'd been confined to our home in Oregon for a year, and we were ready to have an adventure and, and get out. Our son, Josiah, was graduating from Crown College, a good Christian Missionary Alliance school in Minnesota. And so we were going to go to his college graduation from Oregon to Minnesota and make a real road trip out of it and go from Oregon to Minnesota by way of Tennessee. <laughs> and uh, We wanted to thank people along the way who had prayed for us. And, and just, uh, the body of Christ is such an amazing thing when she's working right. And, and so we, we drove to Colorado Springs, thanked some people there, on to Denver. We only knew one person in that church in Denver. I hadn't seen her for 30 years, but she had rallied the church to pray for us. And when we met with them, there were tears coming down people's faces because the bond that takes place when we really pray for somebody. And so we, we got to Denver, got on to Hayes, Kansas, nothing to report there. And <laughs> moved, on to, moved on to St. Louis, Missouri on our way to Tennessee. And I uh, got in a hotel room that night. Joanna bought me a um, McDonald's ice cream sundae. Now, now, why would you do that? Well, by this time, I still hadn't swallowed a drop of anything. And this is, I have to be cautious how I speak of this, because if anybody has dysphagia, the inability to swallow, you've got to be very cautious. But, but to keep the brain from going completely crazy for lack of taste of food and to keep the muscles from completely atrophying for lack of use, 
I would about once a day uh, chew on something. Now, I really don't chew on ice cream, but, but I would chew on something, get it down to about here, and then have to spit it out. Now, the reason you've got to be super cautious is because the doctors really don't like it when you suck Doritos into your, into your lungs, you know? And, and the, windpipe, the windpipe stays open, you know, if, if the f- things aren't functioning correctly, and so you've got to be really cautious. But on this particular night, uh, she bought me this Sunday, and that's what the spit cup was for. And it's, it's gross. I'm sorry. It's just gross. But I'd suck on it, and I'd swallow down here, spit it back out into the spit cup, and then, you know, flush it. And so it's just, I, I would just do it privately. I wouldn't do it publicly, but, but it, was, it was what we were doing. So um, got up the next morning, and I not only had now uh, my, some of my physical begun to be restored, but, but um, the Scripture was now coming alive again to my spirit. And I was, I was reading Psalm 108, having devotions. Uh, as I was having breakfast, I had the feeding tube, and I was pouring some liquid into it, and, and uh, reading Psalm 108, which says at the end of the psalm, the help of man is worthless. Well, I thought it was kind of fun, because doctors had, had only been able to do so much for me. We will act valiantly. Huh. I've got my part to do in this, but victory comes from the Lord. Help of man is worthless. We will act valiantly, but victory comes from the Lord. So I'm meditating on those words as I've got this, uh, you know, as have, uh, having breakfast. And, and uh, um, I look down and my feeding tube is stuck. Now, this is no big deal. This, this happens quite often. With that syringe that you saw in an earlier picture, they give you a little plunger. And, and you push the plunger into the syringe, and it pushes the liquid through, and it's kind of like power washing your stomach. You know, it's going to push, and it's, it's fine, you know. You don't do it super hard. You just do it gentle, and then it will work. So, so I went to, you know, do the power wash, and, and, and it wouldn't, wouldn't budge. It's like, well, that's never happened before. And so I, I stood. I'm not very strong yet, so I stood up, and I leaned against a hotel wall. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't get it to go. So I sit back down with feeding tube and syringe and plunger, and, and um, I'm, you know, waiting for Joanna to come back in the room. She comes back and says, honey, feeding tube sucks. She says, no big deal. She comes over to, to help me out. And to her surprise, she couldn't get it to go. Now, friends, this is my sole source of hydration, medication, and nutrition. Nothing goes into my body if it doesn't come through here, okay? <laughs> We're half a continent away from my medical community. And now my sole source of hydration, medication, nutrition is inoperable. And it's like, oh. <laughs> so I, I tell her, honey, you just got to push as hard as you can. You just got to force this thing. I'll never forget this moment. I'm on one of those desk roller chairs. There's a sliding glass door behind me. My wife is leaning over me. Her muscles quivering, she is pushing so hard. And I'm thinking, oh boy, if this thing blows, it's going to shoot me right out that door. (laughs) She couldn't get it to budge. We pulled the tube out, clean up the mess, dump out the fluid, pack up our room, check out the hotel, stand in the parking lot of the hotel, hold each other, and we pray but I will confess to you, it was one of those really <laughs> kind of prayers. Our faith was down to a little thread. Got into the car, started driving. I, um, 
when I, when I drive, I like to snack, you know, kind of a bad habit probably, but we're going through a section of Illinois, I-64, uh, kind of a, you know, cornfield kind of section, and, and um, <laughs> you, got, you got to drive some hard miles before you get to these, you know, beautiful states like Pennsylvania, you know, <laughs> but anyway, so we're, we're driving through, and I asked Joanna if, if uh, she'd give me a little a yogurt that was in our back seat that was going to spoil, and I'd just do a little recreational snacking. I had my spit cup, and I'd just, you know, suck on it and spit it into the spit cup. And I looked over to ask her, and her, she's like Hannah in the Old Testament, silently praying with tears streaming down her face as she's calling out to God for me again. She reaches over, puts her hand on my throat, as she's done many times before, and prays. I don't sense anything, but she's praying, and I'm snacking. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm taking a little yogurt. And in my, but in my head, the verse came back from the morning. Psalm 108, the help of man is worthless. Yeah, Lord. We will act valiantly. You've got your part to do. But victory comes from the Lord. Well, Lord, what's, what's my part? Don't spit. What do you mean, don't spit? Got it. Well, just don't spit. Huh? So I'm, I, I, I'm, I take this baby kind of bites, and I'm sucking on it. And I'm sucking on it. After 30 miles, I show Joanna the yogurt container, and it's gone down one spoonful. And she says, so? I said, I haven't spit yet. Now, I got jowls. I got stuff you can hide food all over the place in here, you know. And, and so I figured, but, but, but we start praying more, and we start claiming the names of Jesus. And she reaches over and touches my throat again, and, and I feel the tiniest little twinge of, of life. Something is happening. And, and then I do what the medical community is like, no, 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 not liquid. You do not, because liquid just kind of goes right, right into the lungs, you know. And, and, but I, I took this little sip of orange juice, and I felt that orange juice go all the way down, and then this teeny weeny burp come all the way back up. Life was returning to the system. We couldn't believe it. It's like, really, really, really? Would it be possible that on the day, on the day that my feeding tube was stuck, that God would heal me on that day after a year and a half? So, so we, we, um, we, we stop at a Casey's gas station. I have a photo of this. Stop at a Casey's gas station. <clears throat> <laughs> Oh, oh, 140 pounds of me. I hadn't gained a single pound on that medical food yet. Oh, 140 pounds of me with my spit cup. And we stood in that Casey's gas station, and we held each other, or in the parking lot. There was nobody around in Grayville, Illinois. We were all by ourselves. And we held each other, and we said, Greater is he that is in me than the disease that attacks me. Greater is he that is in me than the, than the one that opposes me. And I took that spit cup, threw it in the Casey's garbage can, and I never had to use that spit cup again. <laughs> got back in the car, and now Joanna's driving because I got work to do. <laughs> See, these little muscles haven't been working for a year and a half, but, but now life is returning to the system. And, and so they, it's like, a, whoa, what are you doing to me, you know, kind of thing. But, but I'm, I'm working on that yogurt, you know, and so I'm, I've still got half of a red raspberry Yoplait four-ounce yogurt to, to finish off. And, and so Joanna's driving, I'm working on the yogurt. And you know what? 
You know what? There's plastic at the bottom of those containers. Do you know that? Friends, I hadn't eaten since the Bush administration, and now I'm seeing plastic. We were so overcome with joy, we jumped out of the, we got off at a rest stop, jumped out of the car, had the guy a camera, told him to take a picture of us. And he's still wondering, why they take a picture of this couple with a cheesy smile? It's, let's go ahead and show it. Why they take a picture of a couple, what up, one, two, three, it's a couple of a cheesy smile with a Yoplait yogurt cup in their hand. What was that all about? We were so happy, we never told them. We just, we jumped back in the car, and now the next stop was Wendy's. <laughs> Bought the biggest frosty they'd sell me the night before. The cold of that ice cream had sat right there, and I had to spit it out. Now the cold of that frosty went all the way down. Took me four hours to drink that frosty, but I wasn't a marathon runner for nothing. We persevered through these. <laughs> Got to a hotel that night in Tennessee, finished the day off with a bowl of chili. <laughs> go big or go home, right? Come on. <laughs> Woke up the next morning without a single Kleenex, spit rag, spit towel, paper, nothing. I had slept through the entire night. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Two years and 40 pounds later, (laughs) I'm here to announce, you know, God's kindness in our lives, his fascinating adventure that he would choose to heal me, yes, on the day that my feeding tube stuck, on a lonely stretch of I-64 where we didn't know a single soul, where nobody could get the glory for this but God alone. The fascinating piece of the story, many pieces that I have not been able to tell for lack of time but are available to you in the book if you'd be so interested. But I want to close my comments today with two things. One, some direct words to you, and then my last comments will be by way of a video. My direct words to you are are these. Some of you are still in 2009. I don't know your story. I don't know your situation. But I know that sometimes, as followers of Christ, we are called to sit at a table we really don't want to be at. We ask ancient questions of why and where are you? And would you please get your hands out of your pockets? We, many of us have 2009 experiences. Some of you are still there. And I want to encourage you, friend, that your present situation is not your permanent situation. Here's what I mean by that. Satan wants to come to us and give us this lie of discouragement that says, you are trapped, you are stuck, you are doomed. It's never going to be any different. It's never going to be any better. You must just give up hope, certainly give up on God. He hasn't done anything for you. And I want to tell you that's a lie, that either God will change your circumstance or change you in the midst of your circumstance or both. But what I know for sure is that as long as you have God, you have hope. And you always have God. So therefore, the lie is a destructive tool of the enemy to discourage and defeat you and to cause you to be less of a person than you can be. Some of the most beautiful people I've met in the last few years have been people who have some of the greatest crises. But they have come through trusting 
and God their king. He has changed them in the 2009s of life. And sometimes (laughs) he still does some very sweet and miraculous things as well, like heal a marriage or heal a swallow. (laughs) The last word that I want to leave with you is by way of a video clip. This is from 2009, literally. Um, I had been asked to speak back at Salem Alliance Church. I'm five months into recovery. I'm much better by this time than I had been, so I'm able to now. I'm, I'm, you won't be able to see it, but I'm standing at a walker, and uh, the tracheotomy has been healed. I still have a feeding tube uh, but, uh, underneath the shirt and a wound vacuum attached to my leg, but you won't be able to see those things. But, but the point for the video is... is I want you to see one man's wrestling with faith in the midst of the 2009 of of life. I'm trying to grapple with who is God and what does this all mean in the midst of life's crises. It's three minutes. Thank you for uh, receiving me so kindly today. Bless you. Joanne and I will be back at the table if you'd like to say hi to us, but thank you. You've been very gracious. Please receive this video. I don't really like the journey I'm on. I want you to know God is in it and God is good. God is in this journey and God can only be good. He is to me forever. Praise. Some of you don't like the journey you're on either right now. You're in a tough, a tough spot. Economically, hard time. Physically, bad news. Relationally, tough situation. Emotionally, struggling. Please know that he, according to Psalm 139, according to Psalm 139, he is the God of the light and the darkness. Too much too much American theology is in the God of the light only. But the scripture is clear that he's the God of the day and the night, the light and the dark. The victory and the battle. The battle. Job did like his situation, Jeremiah didn't like his life circumstance. Jesus didn't like being in the garden. I don't like my situation, but God is in it, and God is good.
So, if you want to study any of that, congratulations. I want to pray for you in a minute. This book is that journey. Connie and I have had the privilege over the last few weeks of reading together, even this week on vacation, we couldn't get enough of it because it does expand the journey and gives you insights that you will just be amazed at, at what God wants to teach you. There's no way this morning that John could pray for all of you or with any of you just because of the context of so many circumstances and situations. And many times we feel like he understands where I'm at. But I want you to know he understands exactly where you're at. And so the elders are prepared this morning to pray with you or for you if you have a need this morning. And uh, they'd love to share some time with you. John and Joanne will be at the book table. These are on donation basis, so whatever. If you cannot afford it, let us know. We'll make sure you get one. But it's a great journey and a wonderful lesson that God wants to teach all of us. Let me pray for you. But uh, I'd like you to close your eyes for a moment. And if any of you right now where you're at feel like you're in 2009, a time of your life when you just don't know when it's going to end, but you want God to intervene in amazing ways, more importantly, you want him to teach you what he wants you to learn. Would you raise your hand for just a moment? If you feel like your life right now is 2009, I want to pray for you. All right? All right, all over this auditorium. God, what I love about you, of the thousand things that I love about you, is that you not only saw every hand, you know every circumstance. And the beauty of that is that you see the other side. You see 2011 and 12, and we don't. We feel like Paul looking through a glass darkly, wondering what's on the other side, but we have no idea. And so for those who raised their hands this morning who are feeling like they just don't know why and when and if and what, and none of the questions seem answered, but the questions are huge. And I ask right now in the name of Jesus and by the power of the cross that you will rain down on them. May they feel your grace. May they know your love. May you teach them what you want them to learn in that journey. And may your glory and grace surround them and their family in amazing ways. All of us are in different places, go through different circumstances. But we come to the same God who loves us and adores us and sent his son so that we could have life and have it forever. Without you, we have absolutely no hope. With you, we have everything. And so for those this morning, I ask that you will lift them up and may they feel your glory and your grace. For those here this morning who are going through deep waters and don't have you, I pray, O oh God, in the name of Jesus, that you will speak so clearly and loudly to their heart and soul right now that they will recognize that without you, they don't have tomorrow. And so I trust that you will speak very loudly. May your glory and your grace continue to walk with us as we serve you, follow you, and listen to your voice. In the precious, powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you're one of those here this morning that would love one of our elders to pray with you or for you, I'd love to do that. I know they would as well. And so you come up, and uh, they'll be here, and they'll pray for you. If you want to talk to John and Joanne, they're going to be There's two different tables out there. Uh, but just for a moment, don't uh, monopolize time, just for a moment or two. But uh, if you want to take one of these home and read their story, it will teach you a lot. We're looking forward to a great day next Sunday. A couple of clips that I want to share with you about some powerful things that God's going to do. 
uh, and bringing to us, you just cannot believe what God is going to continue to do over our journey in the next few months as to some of the speakers he's bringing our way. And I'll share one of those clips next Sunday. God bless you. Have a great, great, great day. Don't forget about tonight with our two missionaries from Green Mountain.